So that's from Jonah 3.10. And uh, we're going to pray in just a minute, but I, wanna, I want you to know Pastor Jeff, is, he's actually in, in uh, Mexico or on his way to Mexico. I don't know where he's at, but we have a, we have a number of people that are serving there in uh, our brother Brandon's church uh, with the families out there in, in, in the mission. Um, but he asked me to preach today. All right, so as, as you may or may not, Jonah is like one of the most difficult books in the Bible. Chapter 4, if you've read it, it is one of the most difficult chapters in Jonah, right? Because we have, we have the setup, the people have, you know, repented, God has relented from the judgment, and then we have a plant and a worm, and Jonah sitting by himself, so Pastor Jeff says, Reuben, could you preach that? And I said, yes, I will do it. And I will try to give it justice today um, with the Lord's help, of course. So we're wrapping up that, uh, ch- this chapter, wrapping up the whole book. Um, because if you look at chapter 3, if we ended with chapter 3, we would have a nice, clean, Christian guidepost story. And if for those of you who don't know who guideposts are, it was like this night, it was like the Christian version of Reader's Digest, right? We would have the, the nice Bible story that we share with the kids and the whale and all that, you know, all that good stuff, but it doesn't end there. We don't have this, this story that fits nicely into that children's Bible, picture Bible, okay? Because if it did, it'd be an inspirational story about how a man, you know, followed the call of God, God's, uh, you know, God did a work and, and, and people repented. And certainly those things, some of those things happened, but as you'll see, not everything goes uh, according to what we would like to see. So certainly the people of Nineveh repented. God relented from the disaster that they were facing. And this is after Jonah's disobedience, which we started off with Jonah running away from God's calling being swallowed by a great fish, being there for three days, right? And, and he goes on to prayer, and he has a great prayer, and his prayer ends with uh, the words, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and that would have been a great way to end it. The people of Nineveh turned from their wicked ways. But as I mentioned, Jonah's story does not end that way. Jonah's story does, doesn't end with Nineveh's repentance. Which, to me, that's why it, it's difficult. I've always read it, and I've never understood, well, why does it end that way? Okay, and, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that. We're going to break that down. So I'm a storyteller, and um, I, write, I write fiction. I write stories. I've, I've written a few books. And, and one of the things I know is that from the very beginning of stories... They all follow the same arc. You can track any movie, any book, and they follow the same arc. The details may change, the settings may change, characters, all these other things, but essentially you have the same arc. A hero is given a challenge. A hero accepts the challenge. Sometimes they don't want to accept the challenge. Oftentimes it makes for good story when they don't want to Except the challenge. They're not the right person for the challenge oftentimes, but there's something to overcome to complete that challenge. Now, either the hero is successful in completing that mission, that challenge, okay, or they're not. 
But however you see it, there's some kind of resolution in a story. And, and these, these elements are certainly here um, in this, this story of Jonah. But in Jonah, there is an epilogue. It's almost like an afterword. Um, and it's perplexing in a lot of ways. And, and one of the things, um, and I don't recommend you go watch this movie, um, but there's a movie called The Departed. And I've seen scenes where, you know, you think that you think the hero is he's going to be victorious. He's bringing the guy into justice. And then he meets his end very abruptly in an elevator. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and it's like it stops. The story kind of just stops there. It doesn't end. And you're like, where did that come from? And, and when I read Jonah, that's kind of like wh- how I read it. It's like, where did that come from? Where does it come from? So when we get to endings like that, sometimes the, the tendency is for us to feel cheated. And I don't want that to be the case here because you're going to see it's us reframing our lens about how we actually read Jonah. Because Jonah, his story ends with his own anger, with Jonah's anger. And it's anger so heavy that Jonah wants to die because he doesn't get his way. He doesn't want to see these people saved, redeemed. He doesn't want to see them repent, okay? Because essentially Jonah has made it all about himself. But why is he angry? Why is Jonah angry? doesn't make any sense to a lot of us, right? So he's followed God's commandment to go to Nineveh, to call out evil in the city. God has moved in the people, and he should be rejoicing, right? But what you have to understand about this, about this setting and this context is there's history here, okay? Nineveh was a city in Assyria. Assyria was a very imperialistic country, swallowing up, gobbling up territories around them, and Israel was in their crosshairs, okay? They were opposed to the religion of Israel. They were polytheistic. I mean, you look at it, all kinds of violence, all kinds of things that they did. And so Jonah, coming from the Israelites, that could be a possible motivation, doesn't want to see them repent. They are wicked in his eyes. And, and, and by all rights, they are wicked. They are a wicked people. But here's the thing, is that Jonah is also wicked. There's the catch there. In his disobedience, despite being used by God, he is just as wicked. For the Bible tells us, if we look fast forward into the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jonah's anger is not rooted in righteousness. His anger is rooted in not sin, but the sinner. His anger is directed at the center, at, at the sinner. And it's, it's rooted, Jonah's anger is rooted in self-righteousness. Now, he's been a prophet. He's received mercy. He's received grace from God. He's received it in abundance. He's been spared from being in the belly of the great fish, was vomited out. I mean, that's, that's room for you to be thankful, right? You're in the belly of a fish. You're in there in the dark. I'm sure it was dark. I don't think there was a flashlight in the bellies of the whale, per se. And then you're vomited out and you get a second chance, right? Should be thankful. He's been given a great mission, called on individually. God has actually spoken to him, right? 
He's heard of the word, the word of the Lord not once, but twice to go to the city. But despite seeing that mercy and grace in his life, he hates seeing it being given to those people. And where does this self-righteousness lead Jonah? And that's where we're going to pick it up here as we read. But let's pray right now. Lord God, we uh, give you thanks for this word today. And, and though, you know, where this book ends up, it's, it's perplexing in a lot of ways. It, it, it never completely made sense. But you know what, Lord? You put it in there. So it does make perfect, perfect sense. It's, it's, I pray that you help us in our frailty and our failings of understanding who you are. I pray that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would work in us so that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're sharing with us, what you're teaching us through the last chapter of Jonah. So I pray, Lord, that you would use me, you would use us to impart truth, to impart wisdom, that as we engage with this word, as we study it, we look at it verse by verse, that through it all we would know more of you and that we would be sanctified to be more like you. And all these things I pray for in the name of Jesus. Amen. So spoiler alert, this is going to blow your mind. Watch. Watch. The book of Jonah is not Jonah's story. It is God's story. Amen. You may be underwhelmed, but I, it, it like blew me away when I thought about that. So let's, let's read it together. We're going to read chapter 4 in its entirety. It's 11 verses. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? May God bless the reading of his word. So again, Jonah's anger is rooted in self-righteousness, as we will see. And the book of Jonah, even though it bears the name of Jonah, it is God's story. So, those first few verses, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. He prayed to the Lord. Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why, why I made haste to flee to Tar- Tarshish. I can never say that word. Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. So what displeased Jonah? Why was he so angry? Now, remember last week, and we shared the verse earlier, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so, Jonah is so mad, he prays to the Lord, this is why I fled, this is why I disobeyed. And sometimes we disobey because we don't tr- truly know God. But as, as uh, Pastor Steve taught a couple weeks ago, to truly love God, we must know God. We must know Him or else we love our passions. We love our idols over God. But Jonah is unique because he knows who God is. He knows the right things about God. He knows God is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He, he relents from disaster as, as the people repent. He's been a recipient of grace. But here's the thing. Self-righteousness, it's in the word. You're selfish. It's all about me, right? If I'm being self-righteous, it's all about me. It's inward-focused. It is not outward-focused. And so even though Jonah has been a prophet announcing God's grace to his people, we see it here as he can preach to his own people in in, uh, 2 Kings. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Okay, so he's obviously he's preached, right? He's, he's shared the word and he's done so for his own people. But he can't stand God's grace going to his enemies. He's angry about it. And how mad is he about it? He's angry enough to die. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. You have to be pretty angry angry enough to die. I've never been that angry, right? I'm angry enough to maybe break something or pout for a while, but not to, like, die. I mean, that's pretty upset, right? But contrast that with others in the Bible that we see. Contrast it with Jesus, okay? Jesus facing crucifixion, death on the cross. What does Jesus say? 
Father, what? Let me hear you. Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Contrasted with Stephen, the first martyr, right? Stephen was stoned. Acts 7, 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And these, these two examples, they're not angry at the person, the people who are persecuting them, killing them, right? But Jonah is not even in the same boat. He's just angry because they're being saved. They're being spared. You can contrast that even with Paul in Romans 9. Paul said he'd, he'd be willing to be a curse, to be cut off from Christ if his own people, his countrymen, would see Jesus as the Messiah. So you see the contrast there. Not Jonah, right? Jonah would rather have God kill him than to see the Ninevites experience God's grace. You see what I'm saying? Like, it is a, hey, happy, you know, we, we teach it to the kids. We're probably at, stopping at chapter 3, right? Okay, guys, we're going let, to, let's, your parents are coming. We're going to stop right there. I don't know. Heather, you may teach about worms and plants, and I don't know about it, but. So, Again, Jonah would rather have God kill him than to see the Ninevites experience God's grace. So self-righteousness, as I mentioned earlier, leads to selfishness. And when you're selfish, you're stingy with mercy and grace. You're stingy with all kinds of things, right? Cake, for example. Right? You want it all for yourself. And you, you get in this mindset that there's only so much mercy. There's only so much grace. But do we serve a big God, people? Yes or amen. Either one will work in this situation. Okay? We serve a big God. His grace is abounding. There is no limit to what God can do. But we have this mindset sometimes, as Jonah has, mercy for me, but not for thee, right? And, and this example here with Jonah, it might be due to nationalism, it might be even due to racism, it might be due to a past history of hurt, maybe a family member has been harmed by the Syrians, by the Ninevites, I don't know. But what I do know is that he's selfish and he's thinking only of himself. Okay, and as you'll see, he's only praying for himself here. And when we're self-righteous, we pray only for ourselves. We see only our way as the correct way. And, and self-righteousness is destructive in other ways. And I want you to just think about that word for a second, the, 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 the actual phrase, self righteous with the emphasis on self your righteousness if you're self-righteous it depends on who you self-righteousness your righteousness depends on you on how good you are right on how good your works are on your own obedience to yourself how well does that work out I cannot save myself, okay? 
Jesus spoke out against it frequently. It's one of the sins that Jesus spoke out against probably the most. I haven't you know, done an inventory of that, but I know he spoke on it very frequently. We see this in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And I'll read that. 18.10, if you want to follow along. Luke 18.10. So, parable here. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see the difference, right? When we know we've been forgiven much, we are grateful, we are humble. But this guy's like, hey, I'm better than them. Thank you, Lord, that I'm better than these people here. These unwashed masses. Thank you so much. But as we see in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Judge not that ye be not judged. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now we know, as Scripture tells us, none of us are righteous, no, not one. Your goodness will not save you. Your acts of kindness and mercy will not save you. We find salvation, as we know, through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Through believing what he did for us on the cross. Through repenting, right? Otherwise, if we can save ourselves, why did Jesus die? It's not possible. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. And this is where it gets kooky, right? Sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And maybe it could have ended there. And we still could have taught it in children's church. Hey, kids, there's a plant, Jonah. No, it goes on. God asked a very important question of Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? In other words, he's asking, is your anger right? Is it righteous? And as God asked so many times in the Bible, his questions are rhetorical in nature. As we know, of course, it is not. His anger is not right. He's not doing well to be angry. But here's the thing. One of the great harms of sin, self-righteousness, is its deceptiveness. It lies. We think we're far better 
than we are. It's like when we look, our, look at ourselves in front of a mirror or we take a selfie, we get all the good angles. We take it from above. So you don't see this, right? We angle it in such a way, and then when someone takes a picture of you, you're like, oh my goodness. That does not look like the selfie that I took. You see what I'm saying? You see how deceptive it is? We see what we want to see, how we want to see it. But when someone shows us who we are, we see how we are. When we judge others, we ourselves are judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay? And and the problem here with with his self-righteousness, with our own, if that's something we struggle with, which I would venture that that happens from time to time for all of us, is that we think others are beneath us. We think that they're beneath the grace that we have been given. And that's a problem, church. Because in that mode of thinking, it becomes a holy huddle. It becomes a club. We're only going to show grace and mercy to those who we think might fit in with our tribe. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. So we got the plant. Now we have a worm. I don't know what kind of worm, but it's a worm that God appointed. God called the worm. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Here's this question again. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, and I can't believe his answer. And I'm I'm just inserting myself here. He tells God, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. Can you imagine? Crazy. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah's self-righteousness has led to mercy. Self-righteousness, excuse me, not mercy, misery. Self-righteousness leads to misery. And we end with this weird story of the plant. And again, I'm a storyteller. I'm also an editor. I help people write their stories. And if I were reading this story, if someone had submitted this to me to read, I would ask the writer, do you really want to end on this kind of random note? We haven't seen this plant until now. Certainly have not seen any worms. I don't remember hearing about any worms on the boat. And then you just suddenly throw it in there. Okay? Like a child throwing beans at the wall, you just put it in there. Right? Again, if this, is a, if this was a person and I was reading this story. So on the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I would have said, can we end on maybe a water theme? Let's put Jonah back on a boat. Maybe he falls out of the boat, right? To show he's not on board with God or something clever like that. I don't know. But we have a plant and we have a worm. And 
in spite of all that, the, the important thing here is that Jonah pulls himself away to mourn. He's just seen one of the greatest moves of God. Over 120,000 people have repented. And he's, what is he doing? He's wallowing in self-pity. He's withholding the love of God, despising mercy and grace of God for others. Okay? And it hasn't led him to joy, what he's seen. It's led him to misery. And, and you and I, those of us who call ourselves a, a believers, we're made to, to rejoice at seeing others repent. Was it last week or the week before when we did baptisms? Okay, a few weeks ago, right? We, we, we saw people up here immersing themselves, coming up to new life, right? There was not a dry eye up at the front here. We rejoice when that, when that happens, when we see lives change, we see lives saved. That's the way we're, we're designed. That's the way God built us to be. That's the way the Holy Spirit works in us. All right. And so mercy arrives with this plan. It covers Jonah's head. And just as quickly, the worm comes over, eats it up overnight, shrivels up. And there's Jonah again, finding mercy, excuse me, comfort away from God, finding righteousness in himself, making his own mercy. And, and, and if we read this on the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay? But we have to understand one very important thing that applies, not just to the book of Jonah, but to the whole of Scripture. Verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which, this is the last verse here, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So what applies to the book of Jonah, which applies to the entirety of Scripture, is that the book of Jonah, and I said this at the very beginning, the book of Jonah is God's story. Amen? Okay? There are, Jonah is in it. It's named after him. Right? But there's a lot of people in the Bible. And the Bible, from the very beginning to the very end, it is the red thread of redemption. Okay? Jesus may not be in the Old Testament as we see him in the New Testament, but he is there from the very beginning. Okay? He's the Alpha and Omega. This is a story of God. God is the hero in this story. Jesus is the hero. He was the hero all along. He was the hero from the beginning. He's the hero now. He's the hero to come. And we sang it this morning, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is the one who never forsakes Jonah or the people of Nineveh. It's a story certainly about one man's disobedience, but more importantly, shifting the lens, it's a story about grace and mercy and never being forsaken and given second chances because the very last thing, what, is, what does it say? Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, 
who do not know their right hand from their left. God is showing mercy. God's righteousness leads to mercy. It is His mercy that spares the Ninevites. And though He uses Jonah, He does it like despite Jonah, not because of Jonah. Right? It's not how cool Jonah is or how obedient or willing he is. Okay? Because he's still missing the very point at the very end. But God is the one that is righteous. And this phrase, they don't know their right hand from their left hand, okay? that basically means they are lost. They have nothing to offer. The only thing the Ninevites have to offer to God, which is the same for you and I, is our sin. That is it. That's the only thing we have. Okay? Not your goodness. You're not giving your goodness to God because what did I establish earlier? None are righteous, no, not one. They don't have anything to offer. They have been enemies of God. But God is still merciful to Jonah too, despite his disobedience. Even if he shriveled up the plant, he's still talking to him, which is a big deal. He has not turned his face away from Jonah. He's teaching him. He's disciplining him for sure. But we discipline our children because we love them, right? He's showing him that he, not the plan, is the source of mercy. He's showing Jonah for who he is. That Jonah can only feel pity for something that directly benefits him. He's showing more pity for this plant that is shriveled up than the entire entirety of the city of Nineveh, 120,000 people. And, and think about that. If, if, if we know who God is, does God only spare us if we benefit Him? It's a rhetorical question, people. What's the answer to that? No, right? Only if we're good? Only if we clean ourselves up before we go to Jesus? No, it doesn't work that way. As we see in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He saves us when we are at our worst. He doesn't save the worthy because none are worthy. So application here, a couple of things. Some takeaways um, as, we, as we wrap this thing up. First one is um, to remember what we've been spared from. As I mentioned earlier, as I read this verse, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God. Okay? We were due condemnation. That's the only thing that we can get apart from Christ. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Not good things. So as we apply this and we wrap this thing up, we understand that this is God's story, not Jonah's story, God's story of mercy. 
remember what you have been spared from. Daily basis. Okay, not to beat yourself up, but to, to wake up in thankfulness, in gratitude, to move in that. Okay, next thing is, remember where righteousness comes from. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. If it's up to me, if it's up to you, we're going to mess it up every single time. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag. Righteousness comes from the Lord. For by grace you have been saved. And that righteousness should lead you should lead me, should have led Jonah to mercy. Let God's righteousness lead you to mercy. We're to live a life of gospel in, and then gospel what? Out. Gospel in, gospel out. When we live a life of remembering what we've been spared from, we know where righteousness comes from, we live a life of mercy, and we want to see others saved and spared from the judgment that is rightly theirs, judgment that is rightly ours apart from Christ. Out of us should flow the gospel. In John seven thirty eight. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Everybody say living water. Okay. We're not reservoirs of grace. We don't just go and we keep it and we put a little tarp over it to to preserve it, right? We're not reservoirs of grace. Out of our hearts should flow rivers of living water. We don't hold on that grace until our hearts are dried up and evaporated. We're to be rivers. God's grace and flowy, uh, f- uh, mercy flowing from us. And lastly, we're to rejoice when others repent. We are to rejoice when others repent. As ministers of reconciliation, as the mission of what God has given us, we're to celebrate. Because even the angels celebrate, as we see in Scripture, Luke fifteen ten. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We're going to go into a time of communion here. And as... as